Listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. In July of 1989, the life of our guest today changed forever. She was hit by a pickup truck driven by an impatient 16-year-old teenager. Joining us from Illinois to tell her story is Debbie Wilson. Debbie, thanks very much for doing this. Oh, you're so welcome, Ian. It's my pleasure. Debbie, how vividly do you remember that day in July of 1989? Actually, very Actually, my whole family was in uh, at the place where I was run over, and I was in the process of changing a diaper, and I needed to wet a paper towel. And as I was walking back to my vehicle, I heard a motor rev up, and I could see I didn't have time to get out of the way. And before I lost consciousness, I can remember just being thankful it wasn't my husband and kids. I don't remember anything much after that. I was hospitalized for a month. Take us through what life was like for you after the accident. Well, I really couldn't do much of anything. I um, had to learn how to walk and talk and write a sentence and i'm very glad i didn't have a crystal ball um i've ended up having to learn those skills over and over again because the thing with brain trauma many times it affects our balance and we fall again and again and if you have epilepsy you bang your head again and again and so it, it was a very, very hard daily struggle. Now, prior to your accident, you wanted to become a lawyer, and you were going to law school. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I was actually in my second year of law school. One of those few times, and I, I will never allow myself to think this again, I, I feel very blessed today, but back then... I felt that um, I had always wanted to go to law school, and it was one of those few times where I felt like I had the the tiger by the tail, and the world was going my way, and in a split second of time, life as I knew it changed forever. Now, Debbie, prior to being um, hit by the truck, you didn't suffer from epilepsy, did you? No, I did not. Mine, uh, 30% of brain trauma survivors have epilepsy. Debbie, you've also written that uh, the physician could do little but help determine the areas I was deficient in, and that was the beginning of recovery for me. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Yes. Um, for instance, uh You know, your brain, uh, well, 
everything we know and think and feel, it, it all comes from the brain. You know, your thoughts continue on even after brain trauma. So for brain trauma survivors, we have to identify what areas we are deficient in before we see where we have to work extra, extra hard. I just had widespread diffuse damage like many others, and there was really no area that um, I actually didn't score in the normal range in any area of cognition any longer. So I couldn't recognize road sign shapes. I couldn't make a square. I mean, basic uh, conceptual thinking was just gone. And it looks like along with that, too, were a lot of other things like you were you were having unbearable headaches, nightmares. You uh, were devoid of emotion. You couldn't cry. Absolutely. Um, And there's a lot. A lot that I don't know. I can only share what I do know. My emotions really, really changed after the brain trauma. I had never had an anger issue. Um, I never had a problem controlling my emotions. And I threw six telephones and broke them my first month out of the hospital because the sound of a phone just absolutely it made me irate. It was a real trigger for me. And then there was a faint, and this is what I mean by identifying, there was a faint memory that I didn't always do it that way. It doesn't mean I knew the right way, but that got expensive, and I knew I was too cheap to do that. (laughs) <laughs> good for you so that that's what i mean for instance when what you think doesn't come out the way you you're pronouncing it or the way your brain feels like you're pronouncing it it's called aphasia i had it in speech and i had it in writing real real bad and thankfully cannabis has helped me learn how to write a sentence again but with speech i noticed each time that i would lose my ability to speak with a new hit to the head after the first one that until i could hear my mispronunciation and hear that it wasn't the word I thought I was sending, my brain was sending to my mouth, I couldn't begin to listen and fix it. So for the sake of listeners, these new hits to the head were as a result of seizures you were having? Absolutely, they were. Um, I was diagnosed with a pretty severe brain injury um, initially in 1989, as Ian said. But seven years later, I didn't sleep for 10 days and 10 nights, and my neurologist was the number one in the Pacific. I was in Hawaii, a military wife, and he told me that it it was bodily death at 10 days, and he was frantic. And they tried me on seven or eight different sleeping medicines, and I didn't respond to any of them. And I finally fell asleep on the 10th night, and I only slept three hours. And my family was on vacation on the mainland, and I was home alone. And I did notice my balance was a little off, because when I look back, I remember holding on to the wall. I've I've, I've wanted to 
changed that moment in time many times. But I went in and sat down at my computer. I was writing back then. And in 1996, from the medicine side effects, when I got up out of that chair, I accelerated backwards and flipped over a love seat and landed on terrazzo floors over concrete and... I went from not being normal in any area to scoring in the very low percentages in the nation. So you had a brain injury in July of 1989. Then seven years later, you had another brain injury. Yes, uh, worse than the first, July of 96. July is not a good month for you. No, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) I identified that, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So what happens after the after your second brain injury? Well, they're frantic to get my seizure stopped because now I'm having temporal. I had specific left temporal lobe damage the second time. I was holding a pewter cup of coffee, and I just thought maybe my coffee need warmed up since I didn't have good balance. And when I got up out of the computer chair. That's when I accelerated backwards, and that full pewter mug hit me in the left temporal lobe, and that triggered seizures that would shut my heart and lungs down. And he was very, very honest with me. He let me know that they were life-threatening. He asked if he could send my records to UCLA and see if they could do surgery, and I agreed. And he sent them twice, and I was turned down twice. And my neurologist, um, who I will always admire and respect, told me that the reason I was being turned down was that because I had multiple areas of my brain that triggered seizures, I affected their research money because I wasn't seen as a positive outcome case because they can only operate on one area of the brain. And at the time, they didn't know what area was uh, causing the majority of my life-threatening seizures. You know, it's interesting talking to you, Debbie, because uh, I would not even suspect that you had a brain injury. No. Or two, matter of fact. No, I wouldn't either. You know, amazingly, and I'm so glad that I get the opportunity to say this, Corey, to you and to you, Ian, and knowing this is my first time to speak out internationally, I was diagnosed uh, with brain trauma like I've had in the constant hits over and over and over and over. I was taken, my son said he stopped counting at 20 concussions with loss of consciousness from grand mal seizures. And then a specialist thought to tell me I needed a a helmet, and it was before they even made seizure helmets. I went into a skateboard helmet, and then I got a concussion inside that helmet where I didn't even recognize my son anymore. And that was in 19, I'm sorry, 2006 was my last injury. Debbie, tell me about the experience you had where you didn't eat for two weeks. You made reference to the fact you didn't sleep for 10 days, and then you slept for three hours. But uh, in you've written that you didn't eat for two weeks, and your husband came home and uh, from vacation, I suspect, and he looked in the refrigerator, and the same food was there. 
That is correct, and that's how I found out. They call that autonomic responses, things that your body just knows it needs, um, like uh, your heartbeat, your lungs. Well, hunger, it, um, I, my brain no longer evoked the thought to eat or any hunger pains, and, and I still don't really get those, but I've learned that eating is important. I had to relearn how how to eat, basically, Ian, um, without supervision, I didn't comprehend the need to eat. Now, how were you emotionally throughout all this? How did it impact your relationship with your family? I did. It impacted all of us. Um, my husband left a year um, after my second injury, um, my seizures were a real disruption, ambulances all the time. I would say all three of my children have PTSD um, as a result of their life with my health. Um, so there was a lot of negative. On the flip side, they're all very compassionate and understand that not everybody's as fortunate. Um you know, it's hard for me to speculate. Uh, I, I understand that I needed to do this journey on my own. I understood I would be putting anybody in my family and anybody who was a friend to me at risk. And actually, with the kind of damage I had, you know, my creator took care of that. I had lost all my family and friends except for my son. So only one person had a front row seat to this whole journey, and it feels so special. Uh, my mother, who is a cancer survivor, now as a retired U.S. Marshal, says now that Florida's legalized, she may try the oil. But now none of my siblings will discuss it with me. <laughs> and two of my three children, because they have kids, feel like it's best that their kids not have contact with me. And they are the parents, and that's something I have to respect. Tell us about your journey towards cannabis oil. I was also the first patient um, with epilepsy to be evaluated for the vagal nerve stimulator, which is another surgery, only it sends electricity to your brain every five minutes. Mm -hmm. And they sever one of the vagal nerves to do it, but then it has a pacemaker that has to be replaced every three years. And the greatest hope they give with a decrease is 30% decrease in my seizures. And I'm from Florida, and uh, the Epilepsy Foundation director asked me when I was discussing the procedure with him, he said, Debbie, would you even notice a 30% decrease? And the second that was the second time I was turned down in Hawaii the first time because he They'd only done Parkinson's disease with the procedure, and I no longer lived in Hawaii. Back in Florida, I was offered it again, but I turned it down because I had to admit to somebody who directed patients that I would not notice a 30% decrease. 
so um, I was having horrible, horrible, they call them post-traumatic headaches. And honestly, I just always thought, well, shoot, if I could get rid of this headache, I might be able to do a lot more. And um, you kind of have to fail at everything to finally be sent to the number one inpatient. Um, I was sent to Diamond Headache Clinic. And um, they weren't able to help me. And uh, that was, had exhausted my last um, Western medicine option. And I was on a train uh, coming back. It was a five-hour ride. I was in a train all by myself. And I just heard my creator's voice say that's man's law not my law and I went home and checked and that was the gospel truth so my son came down the next morning and said are you ready to go back to diamond and I said no he said what are you talking about and I said I I need some cannabis he said you're kidding and I said no I'm not and I was averaging Partial complex seizures, which is really being not conscious. I could walk, but not with good balance. It With slurred, my speech wasn't right, but I could clean. Basically, that's pretty much all I could do. I was having thousands a week. I mean, a, a, a seizure journal was a joke to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't even comprehend. But those weren't the ones that were, um, I kept hitting my head on my grand mal seizures when I go unconscious and I averaged 16 a month for a week of those. And from the first time I tried cannabis for my headaches, I went from four seizures a week, grand mal seizures to four a year the first year, Ian. Wow. Uh, how much oil were you taking, Debbie? I wasn't on oil yet. That was just vaping. Oh, I see. Okay. Just vaping. And you vaped every day. How many times a day did you vape? I vaped. Um, I did it. <clears throat> I did this journey alone. And I didn't have my computer skills yet. So it wasn't an easy journey for me. Um I just was told by my teenagers that they thought cannabis would help my headaches. They didn't have a clue because I've asked them that they would help my seizures or they would have told me long ago, I assure you, (laughs) it interrupted their lives. But um, so actually it was my own kids who brought the information But I had been in law enforcement (laughs) my whole career up through um, law school. So for me, it was a real huge to make a decision to purposely break the law. My dad was a, had been the supervising federal probation and parole officer in Tampa. And man, breaking the law was a big deal at my house. Let me tell you guys. And, uh, my dad had passed, and um, my mom's retired, and this was just, when it did that for my seizures, it didn't get my life-threatening partial complex seizures that kept shutting my heart and lungs down. 
But um, I got the opportunity um, to go to Michigan and do a trial, and I was able to get um, some CBD oil there. And I did not notice it. It was my son and caregiver, Cody, that did. He came to me and we had, we had realized we may have to move because he knew I wanted to tell the truth because I was a writer before my second brain injury. <laughs> and I didn't know if I could ever learn to write and share my journey, but just in case he knew I wouldn't be quiet about this was too good a hope for people that had never been giving, given any hope. And I knew that cause there was no part of the journey I didn't experience getting there and anything that can reduce those kind of seizures that quick I knew I knew that the answers were in that plant now my son came to me two weeks after trying the CBD and said mom we're gonna have to move and I said what are you talking about and he said You've gone two weeks without a partial complex seizure. And I said, so? And he said, Mom, you've never gone over three days. Mm -hmm. And and that was a wow moment for me as well because my awareness was that diminished as a result of the thousands of seizures a week. I couldn't have told anybody how often or how many I had. I, I was that diminished capacities how i look at it debbie did you go from vaping to taking oil at all or do you still vape? this this is how i did it um i couldn't get the oil i needed and i started my journey seven years ago so you all have a time frame um i learned with um vaping seven years ago I didn't get the opportunity to move until two years later, but I got to go do the trial in Michigan. So I knew that it was going to take other components of the plant, but by then I had detoxed off of all of my pharmaceuticals except for one, and I've now gone from eight milligrams to one milligram a day of my very last pharmaceutical from 44 a day. Um, just coming off, having the ability to come off of those medicines, I'll be honest with you, I was, I could be triggered and I was angry and I was trained by the Department of Corrections and I'd just soon hurt you as look at you if you were unjust to anybody. I really could not control my temper. I tell you, cannabis, and my son said, Mom, just don't go off your antidepressant because 70% of brain trauma survivors end up in prison. And I knew the statistics. I had worked in the prison system, and I was the special needs caseload counselor. So I walked with people in my circumstances before I was in this circumstances. And one thing we just all needed was hope. And this ended up being my antidepressant and controlling my seizures. And then after all the head hits, you know, that's going to bring on dementia type symptoms statistically. 
But now I was diagnosed with CTE, which is what you see the professional ball players uh, being diagnosed with from repeated head traumas. I at we moved in 2012 to Oregon, and um, a cannabis practitioner actually found me and said, "I think I can guide you." Well, at that point. I wasn't really getting anywhere. Nobody was really giving any information. I didn't understand how to find. I had found the biggest people before I ever moved. So then I was kind of stuck. I'd gone to the West Coast for direction, but nobody knew how to guide a complex case with every organ pretty much compromised like mine. And I promise you, <laughs> my doctors really don't know what to say about any of my success. And at this point, I'm having a real hard time. They don't have a choice but to give cannabis credit because I'm not on anything except one other pill. So everything that that used to show up wrong in my bloods all is coming back normal, within normal range my neurologist had to say something about my blood pressure. She couldn't even say, couldn't find anything to say about my brain, and that was in December. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite remarkable. You said you were on forty-four pharmaceutical pills in one day. Yes, three handfuls is the only way I can describe it a day. But, Ian, you know how we were talking about I didn't know how to eat? <laughs> I couldn't, I didn't know how to inhale either. So I started this journey seven years ago, but the first two years, my son had to shotgun me until I learned the um, how the body manually inhales. You've had a, a remarkable journey, and you've made just unbelievable progress over the last number of years. Do you agree with the, the fact that you, you've, you've come a long way? Absolutely, Ian. Um, I, I've got to share a couple of really unexpected healing experiences because I know that, that there are patients that need to know this. I had... Um, I broke my neck when the truck hit me. I, I think I didn't mention that. Um, but I had rebroke it again <laughs> when I had started on this cannabis journey. And I had been told I would stay in that back and neck brace the rest of my life. Well, two and a half years ago, I was able to come out of the neck and back brace that I'd been told I could never come out of because I wasn't eligible for surgery. And I'm so thankful today for all the surgeries I wasn't eligible for because it took time. But now my neck and back, I've been out of the braces and I'm getting more and more mobility well, then I had had total and complete loss of feeling in both of my hands all those years. And two years ago, something burnt me that I put in the microwave. And I thought, oh, that had to be my imagination. I can't feel pain. Well, that happened a few more times where I said, now that's not my imagination. I actually got feeling back in both of my hands that had been gone 
for a quarter of a decade two years ago. Now, the icing on the cake, my son and I hypothesized once you get feeling back, can you get fine motor skill ability back? And we didn't know. Well, last week, for the first time, I was able to pick up one of my cannabis seeds, and my son looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, you couldn't pick up a, pe- a penny off the floor if you tried 10 times. You can pick up seeds. <laughs> and so we are seeing that, yes, fine motor skill can also improve. Well, it's it's neuroplasticity of the brain, isn't it? Yes, it is. You've got it. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of people, the medical profession was unaware of this, I believe, uh, until maybe several decades ago, a few decades ago, that the brain can actually adjust and it does that during the course of, of our lifetime. And it can either be a positive adjustment or a negative adjustment. It's not a static uh, piece of mass in our head any longer. Absolutely. That's our understanding. And you're a perfect perfect example of that in in the the number of uh, traumas you've had to your brain and the recovery that has occurred for you over the number of years, particularly when you have consumed cannabis. It is, uh, honestly... I was recommended four surgeries, and nobody ever mentioned cannabis. That was just for my epilepsy. I wasn't eligible for most of the surgery for my spinal issues. And the truth of it is, if somebody had said cannabis will do it, I'd have done that a long time ago. But we all know it's not that easy. So I had been a mainstream medicine who had never tried cannabis And I had no preconceived ideas other than it may relieve my headaches. I had no idea I would get all this brain healing. But my specialty is neurology, and I, I deal with fellow brain injury survivors. And I knew they deserved to know and not go through the hell on earth that I did because of laws and ignorance that all patients deserve to have access to. Debbie, do you take just CBD or do you take THC as well? Um, actually, I take THCA twice a day. Okay. Um, I take it in capsules. I take CBD. I don't need CBD. Uh, THCA eventually took the place of CBD for my partial complex seizures. And there are patients that need to know that because back then I thought I needed CBD. THCA ended up doing the same thing for me. But once I got the dementia diagnosis, raw cannabis is what was recommended. And I've been doing that for three and a half years and we've really seen some enhanced healing debbie what message would you like to give listeners about life itself given the the traumatic uh, injuries that you have sustained over the years i would say um 
take time to take your face out of your phone and look around. There are broken people walking all around you that just may need a smile or may need a helping hand. And and if you get to talk and share the the absolute miracle of this plant, because we all deserve the knowledge. Debbie, you've written a book, haven't you? I have. And can you can you uh, tell us the title of that book for people who might want to find it? Well, I donated it, and I, um, it's called "Life Has Changed." Um, and I've got another one ready, which is a sequel to that one called "An Ounce of Hope." And um, eventually, I will get it out, but. I have pretty much focused on talking in the first person since I certainly never expected to be here seven years later and realize that my poems and prose are in the, on the Internet and they're forever. Debbie, it was a pleasure to talk to you. You've, uh, you've made remarkable progress and you've still, you're going to make remarkable progress in the years ahead. And by the way, you're a wonderful writer. Thank you so much. Debbie, it would be nice to have you on and say a year and see see what's changed for you. Yeah, that's right. Hey, that would be great, and I'm so glad you guys thought of that because I've been calling United Patients and saying, hey, the, the medical professionals and the patients need this stuff. And so I've been looking for a think tank where I could pass off neurohealing to the people that, you know, that that do understand the endocannabinoid system. Debbie, great to talk to you. We'll uh, we'll be in touch and we'll continue uh, monitoring your journey in the months and years ahead. Absolutely. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Debbie. And that's it. Another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.